Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning to each of you. How are you? As I was driving in today, I heard this song, I may not know what the day brings, but I know who brings the day. How many of you can say amen to that? Yeah, here's, here's the challenge as we go along. There are burdens that happen every day and challenges that come our way that tend to block the reality of who really does bring the day. So what I want you to do is put your hands out like this. I don't know what you're carrying in today. I don't know what kinds of challenges that you have, but I know they're there. It may be a sickness. It may be a family member. It may be a work circumstance. It may be retirement. It may be the economy. Whatever that is that's feeling like a burden to you today, I want you to give that to God and just turn your hands over. Can you feel the weight of that burden again? Put your hands back up. And now I'm going to pray for you, and whenever I say we release this burden to you, God, just turn your hands over, okay? Lord, just in this moment, you know what weighs us down and what keeps us from worshiping you fully. You know the things that we've tried to put out of our mind as we drove to this place today, and yet Satan continues to use them against us to push us into a place that we are both uncomfortable, and yet we remember Father, I pray that right now, Lord, that in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, we would release this burden to you. We give it to you, God, and we ask you to care for us. As we've already sung, you provide what we need, and Lord, we need you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, it is good to be with you again. I am Rick Schonkweiler, and it's been fun being with you, and there may be some other times when I, when I show up, but I know there's a lot of things that are going on. As we prepare for Easter coming up in, in April, we're in that time when I want to encourage you to do something. Every day, I want you to list five things that you're grateful for. Every day until Easter, because of course the most grateful thing that we have happen in our lives is salvation and how Jesus comes into our life and gives us power through his Holy Spirit. So five things every day, write that on a piece of paper. Some of you are already doing what I've asked you to do and that is repeating the passage of scripture that we've been looking at over this last several weeks two times a day. But here's, here's a question I have for you. When was the last time you forgot something that is an old habit for you? I mean, something you do regularly and it just got missed. The other day I was leaving home, my wife Nancy said, aren't aren't you forgetting something? Well, being the man that I am, I racked my brain. I I could not think of a thing. I had my keys, I had my cell phone, had my computer, had my coat. You know, I'm good to go. She looked me square in the eye and said, really? I knew I was cooked. But for the life of me, I could not figure out what she was talking about. She said, you are leaving without kissing me goodbye. Dead on arrival. That was me. She is right. I had, I, I, I mean, now, reality, ladies and gentlemen, I knew I'd kissed her. So I proceeded to tell her so. And you know how that conversation turned out, right? 
Not good. Guys, I want to remind you, don't do that. Don't do that. I kissed her goodbye. After 48 years of marriage, sometimes I think I have done something because it is a habit and I forget. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe it's been a chore, a phone call, a conversation, uh, uh, just, a, just a reminder, whatever those things are. So we need to do things lest we forget. We don't do things just because they're traditions. We do things because they keep us from forgetting. Forgetting who we are, who God is, where we are. Last weekend in the American calendar, we called for President's Day. We all get a day off. Mail doesn't come. You know, over my lifetime, and many of you, that's true as well. Originally, we celebrated February 12th as Abraham Lincoln's birthday and February 22nd as George Washington's birthday. Now we do them all, including all of our presidents on that day, that third Monday in February. I mean, how tough it is for the next generation or the third generation to remember. Many of us here, most of us here, in fact, did not serve during World War II, but we may have grown up in that time. Some of us here can remember Korea, maybe even Vietnam and other places along, but we often see slogans like, lest we forget, or remember the Alamo. Isn't that a car rental place? I mean, I just can't, no, never mind. Pearl Harbor Day, 9-11, because we want to remember those special dates. But after a while, the reason for the slogan fades away. And it just becomes a day off or a tradition in our lives. Some of you are aware of your parents' story of trudging to school. Snow eight to 10 feet deep, uphill all the way, and uphill all the way back home again, right? Many of our parents and our grandparents told stories about war, about the depression, about uh, a particular struggle. For many, what has made the last several years hard is that it's one of the first times they've ever experienced a severe economic downturn or a pandemic. We'd not experienced that before. And now, it's all around. Today, we want to look a little deeper into Deuteronomy chapter 6 in that fifth book in the, in the Bible and the Old Testament We're going to jump back in and face the coming challenge that the Israelites had as they came into a new land as God was leading them out of their wandering. Here Moses reminds them of their place before a watching world, a place that many of them may not recognize. He says, when you go in, when you go in. Moses recognizes that when they go into a new place, a foreign place, the Israelites might they just might forget their standing with God. They might forget the memory of God's working during the Exodus over the time in Egypt. As time passes, memory fades. In fact, we're told in the Bible that the whole generation that was adult when they went into the wilderness wandering had passed away. And now we have a new generation of leaders who are going into the promised land. There's a challenge to call good evil, an evil good. Satan labeled good, obedience to God. You remember in the, in the garden experience? And then he labeled evil, disobeying God, as unmitigated good. 
that Eve needed to reach for that. How little things have changed since the Garden of Eden, right? We're in a time when we wonder about why is good evil and evil good? Perhaps it's because we forgot God. The goodness of a culture is measured by how that culture, its institutions, its laws, its habits, measure up to the natural law. An objective and unchanging standard of good and evil that God's written in the universe and upon our conscience. Inverting good and evil led directly to the first sin and to the human habit of repeating the sin over and over again, Chuck Colson wrote many years ago. That can happen in our relationship with God. We can become so occupied with what's happening in our work, excuse me, <coughs> with what's happening in our work and our daily lives that we overlook the central place that God should have in our lives. Has that ever happened to you? Has it ever been a place in time when you've gotten so busy that all of a sudden you go, did I pray today? Did I read God's word today? Did I listen to some kind of an encouragement in God's word today? Go through the whole day and hardly have a thought of God? Or the only thought of God is, help me through this day, God. I don't know how I'm going to make it without you. I'd like for you to stand as we read the scripture again today. This is that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And read it with me, please. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Amen. You may be seated. When you see the word and you hear the word God, what goes through your mind? Is it just another word? Is it just one of those words that gets flipped into the television or to the movie or some other kind of time whenever you're just a little frustrated? Is it just what I expect at church? Or do I have a high and awesome recognition? Whenever I hear the name God, do I pause for just a minute to realize the king of the universe knows my name too? I mean, as we read that scripture together, there's this aspect where it, there should be a sense of awe, a sense of, of just pausing, a sense of worship. There's a, there's a way in which that, those two verses should affect my everyday life. That's why we've paused there for the three weeks that I've been in front of you. Too often we look for a new scripture every day and we don't stop and meditate upon a scripture deeply. You see, if this passage does not affect how you live, then it's just another word in your vocabulary takes place alongside those everyday words like lunch and work and what's happening. That's why the, the Hebrews repeated these verses twice a day to keep focus. But over time, the reason for it slipped away and it became just a tradition. It became just something that they would put on their door frames. It became something that they would just make sure that they said every morning and every night, kind of like, now I lay me down to sleep kinds of prayers. How do we keep that from happening? To, to read the Bible, attend church, avoid big sins, is that the passionate, wholehearted worship of God? There seems that there should be more. 
There should be more to challenges. I think that's part of what was going on and seems to be moving through Generation Z right now when I think in terms of what happened recently at Asbury University College Seminary in Wilmore, what I'm seeing happening at NKU and other places around is that all of a sudden people are going, wait a minute, if God is my provider, do I believe that? If God is God, do I believe that? Am I willing to repent of sin? and allow him to have my life fully? Or do I just go through the motions? The challenge is that we not get caught napping when it comes to our spiritual lives, to our relationship with God. These verses in Deuteronomy were meant to wake us up. How we must avoid spiritual amnesia. We sing a song around here, Good God Almighty, and one of the things that, that's in that, one of the stanzas just simply says, I get amnesia. I forget that you're at work in my life, God. I forget that you provided the sunshine, you provided the rain, you provided the seasons, you provided everything in my life. Because I go to work, I work pretty hard. I make okay money, I pay my bills, pay my taxes. The promise that's here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is for land and good things. And when we turn our attention to the New Testament, we see forgiveness and life and kingdom and future. But really, every day. You see, the Bible's not afraid to speak about the contradiction between the values that people say they stand for and the daily realities of their lives. We often say one thing but practice another, right? I mean, there... Francis Chan wrote, there's an epidemic of spiritual amnesia going around, and none of us is immune. No matter how many fascinating details we learn about God's creation, no matter how many pictures we see of his galaxies, and no matter how many sunsets we watch, we still forget. We will still say, God, where are you? And that still small voice says, I never left. I think there are three reasons in this text why we get amnesia, and it comes after those verses in the first part of chapter 6. The first reason we get amnesia is because of distraction. None of you in here are distracted, but if I say lunch, boom, you're distracted. You're thinking something totally different than what I am. Here's what the scripture says in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. You see, in, in their own time, the Hebrews probably thought they had come to a place where everything was instant. They had not planned for all these good things to be a part of their lives. But there they were. Everywhere they looked, it seemed the land was ready for them. What a relief. After 40 years of wandering, to have things almost on a platter. But what distractions too. I mean, how easy is it for us to think that this comfort is all about me? I, I know I didn't do anything to deserve this, but I sure feel proud and I have to keep up the pretenses of keeping my stuff current. 
I mean, I only want the best cell phone, computer, house, car, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. This thing's getting old. I got to get rid of it. How long have you had it? 15 minutes, right? I mean, that, that's just the, the, the place. But, but that messes up our thinking about God and with God. Our challenge is to think biblically rather than conventionally. Conventional thinking is about us. It's about our comfort, about my own faith even. Conventional thinking says, don't go out of your way. Don't give up a seat. Think about what I need, what I like, what helps me. But biblical thinking takes risks for the gospel, looks for opportunities to serve, seeks to solve problems with going out of my way. Biblical thinking realizes God is God. And that I'm not always going to be comfortable in my life. In fact, Scripture says, I've come to bring you comfort, which guess what that means? You're going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We're, we're programmed to focus on what we do not have. Have you noticed that? I, I mean, I noticed that in my own life. You know, when I drive into a parking lot in the mall, or one of the strip malls, I look at the windows and I go, ooh, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't go, oh, guess what? I got one of those. No. That, that's the programming inside me, and I have to be careful of that. We're bombarded multiple times throughout the day with what we need to buy to make us feel happier or sexier or more at peace, right? I mean, that's just the bombardment that goes on, the words that are around us. This easily transfers over to God. We forget that we already have all we need in him. You sang four songs. Every one of those songs said, you are enough, God. But I know I fell into this when I was singing, and maybe you did too. You are enough, God, but I'm missing fill in the blank. And that's what's going on here with the Hebrews. You see, we forget and we don't need we don't worship when we don't realize and don't remember that we have everything we need in him. It may sound unchristian to say that some mornings I don't feel like loving God and I just forget to, but I do. In our world where hundreds of things distract us from God, we have to intentionally and consistently remind ourselves of him. One of the things I was taught by a mentor and I want to encourage you with this is, do not listen to your heart. Scripture says it is deceitful. Even after it's been redeemed, there are still things in my heart that try to pull me away from God. Instead, he says, speak to your heart. Speak the words of Scripture to your heart because you need to be telling yourselves these words, not just what you feel. See, we miss that. that. That's one of the reasons why we can take a mission trip to Haiti. We can go into other places around the world and people who have nothing worship wholeheartedly and excitedly. When I was pastor at White Oak Christian Church, we have a mission in, in India. We've been there over, over 40 years. And I would go into villages and, and uh, people would, would welcome me and, and they, they welcomed you in this way. You came into their house, they had swept it, and they had coated the dirt with, do you know what? They made a solution out of cattle dung and washed the dirt. 
And then they would always greet you with a plastic cup that had some Sprite in it and a package of cookies because they knew you couldn't eat their food and you couldn't drink their water and they couldn't afford it. They had saved for weeks and months because they knew that I was coming to have that little feast and they worshiped wholeheartedly. They would say, Pastor, you, don't, you just don't know how much we have. This is amazing that God would bring you here, but we want to share what we have with you. Well, the second reason that we get spiritual amnesia is because of distance. Because of distance. Deuteronomy 6.12 says, Do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, we have a tendency to forget from where we came to where we are today, and we think only about what's missing in the future. We have a hard time thinking about today. That was true for the Hebrews as well. You know, after I became a Christian, was a Christian for a few years, I would sometimes forget what it was like to be lost. I, I kind of forgot what it was like the first time I walked into a church and I didn't quite understand all the words that were being said. I didn't quite understand the songs. And yeah, I, I knew about concerts. I'd gone to some of those, but man, I mean, these people sang and I didn't even understand the words. After I'd been a Christian for a while, I, I began to understand the Bible and I, I knew the key words. I could speak Christianese. You know, words like salvation, communion, baptism, fellowship, sanctification, all those great big words that no one else ever uses in conversation except Christians. My prayer life was often on autopilot because I knew I was supposed to do that every day. Thomas Merton wrote many, many years ago, he said, and what is the use of praying if at a very moment of prayer we have so little confidence in God that we are busy planning our own kind of answer to our prayer? Do you ever, maybe you don't catch yourself doing that. I do. I go, God, here's what's going on in my life. I really need you to walk into it. And, and really, I, I need you to bring some changes. And by the way, the change ought to look like this. Do you do that? Uh, I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we said we didn't. Even those of us who are closest to God would struggle with that. We fail to think biblically because we have a wrong view of God. When we see him as a benevolent being who is satisfied when people fit him, shoehorn him, stick them into, his, into their lives in some small way. We forget that God does not have an identity crisis. We already sang that today too. I, I am loved by God. I don't define God. He defines me. Man, those words were coming out of your mouth. Those words were on the screen. Those words were being sung. God doesn't have an identity crisis. He knows that he's great, and he deserves to be the center of our lives. Jesus came humbly as a servant, but he never begs us to give him some small part of ourselves. No, he commands, he demands everything from his followers. Sometimes we miss that. We think that's in the fine print, but that's right out in front, right? He says, if you come to me, you must take up your cross and follow me daily. You must give all to me. Well, the third reason that I think we run into spiritual amnesia is because of discontent. Discontent. Some of us, <laughs> this is not to call any of you out. Some of you are already going, I wonder how long this is going to take. You know, when are we going to be done with this? I, I got other things to do. Some of you know that, that I, am, uh, I bleed red, and I'm an IU fan, 
and some of you are rejoicing as well. But, but the reality is we have a tendency to say, what's on the TV after we get out of church? What's going on next? I got to get home and I got to, I'm discontent. Here's what the scripture says. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as he did at Massa. Whoa, Massa, that's a word that most of us don't have even a clue about. This is the third time in the book of, Revel, excuse me, the book of Deuteronomy alone that Israel grumbles against Moses as they're wandering. And this is right at the time they're getting ready to move into the promised land. They had grumbled for physical provision. <laughs> they said, wow, you know, this manna and quail stuff, we're kind of tired of that. Could we get something a little different here? They, they grumbled uh, about uh, and argued over all kinds of things. And they, they would argue again before it was time to go into the, the promised land. And Moses taps the rock at that point in time, and oh my goodness, that's the reason he doesn't go into the promised land, to provide them water. Don't you believe God's providing for you, grumbling at what they got? Moses calls this place Massa, and that word Massa, M-A-S-S-A-H, means testing. He says, don't test God at the place of testing. The Hebrews were very descriptive in their language, right? Much like we would call places Indianapolis, you know, capital of Indiana, or Stinking Creek. Kind of gives it to you what that's probably about, right? Or Oxford, the place where the ox crosses the ford. Or here, Rising Sun. We're not named after darkness, right? There's reasons for that. Kind of makes you wonder, though, about restaurants that are named like Red Squirrel, or golden dragon. Scary stuff, man. We are a culture that relies on our technology over community. We're a society that, in which spoken and written words are cheap. In fact, 140 characters gets a thought out now quickly. Easy to come by and excessive. Our culture says anything goes. Fear of God is almost unheard of. We are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger, which is exactly the opposite of what Scripture says, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I was listening to a conversation the other day. It was around the fact that the computer was going too slow. I mean, the Internet didn't load in less than a second. Or the iPod couldn't find my song from the list of 40,000 that it has on it already. I mean, we are so discontent. It confuses us when loving God is hard. Shouldn't it be easy to love God? Wouldn't it be, I mean, he's so wonderful. Think about your own relationships in loving. And sometimes that's the challenge for us is we think love ought to be easy. Caring for others ought to be easy. When we love God because we feel we should love him instead of genuinely loving out of our true selves, we've forgotten who God really is. Our amnesia is flaring up again. Most of us know we're supposed to love and fear God, that we're supposed to read our Bibles and pray so that we can get to know him better, that we are supposed to worship him with our lives, but actually living that out is challenging. I want to challenge you today to live that out. 
That's a big part of what I see in the revival at Asbury, the revival in Wilmore, Kentucky. The thing that I'm seeing happen in other places as I was standing here today worshiping, I was praying for that in Rising Sun, that we would come back, we would recognize how much we need to love God for who he really is. Francis Chan wrote, I find myself relearning this lesson often. Even though I glimpse God's holiness, I'm still dumb enough to forget that life is all about God and not about me at all. Perhaps it's like this. Some of you may have read and know that Robert De Niro has been filming a, a movie in Cincinnati. There are a number of neighborhoods that when you drive by, you go, wait, that's got, a, that's got a facelift. There's some new paint there. There's some old cars parked along the street, et cetera, et cetera. Now, suppose that I'm an extra on that movie, and I've tried to do that a couple of times, be an extra on movies that are in Cincinnati. I am in some scenes somewhere, I'm sure. But being an extra, uh, the scene where I'm an extra makes the final cut. Now, suppose I decide that I'm going to throw a party and I rent out Greendale Cinema, right? I mean, I'm on the screen for all of 0.7 seconds. It just goes right by. And I rent out Greendale and I throw a big party. I want everyone to come and see my movie. Wait a minute. How crazy would that be? Even more crazy is living this life as if it's all about me. I love the way the Bible takes us through this story. Creation, God made it. Rebellion, we're not sure you really did that, God. A flood sent by God. A 90-year-old man who's selected by God to be a father of a nation. Joseph, Moses, other ordinary people used by God to contribute to his story and on and on. And then the climax, his son coming from heaven he dies, he's resurrected, he ascends to heaven. But the scenes of the book close with God on his throne and all beings worshiping him. So who is the story about? My name is written in his book, but this story is not about me. How is it possible that I live as though this life is about me? So how do I keep spiritual amnesia away? Let me give you three ideas, three ways in which you could do that. You need to develop spiritual awareness. Bible says in Deuteronomy 6.13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. God will not be just tolerated. He instructs us to worship and to fear him. Now focus here is not on spirituality. There's all sorts of that today. No, it's on Christianity, about being a Christ follower. And so if you're not yet a Christ follower, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. I would love to talk to you after this service. I know elders and others would love to be a part of that with you. John 17 says, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, God, the only God, true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So how do I do this? First of all, I think you begin with daily reminders. Deuteronomy 6.17, be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees that he's given to you. Where's the place where you just kind of review what's the things God saying? On, a, on an average day, we get caught up in ourselves. On an average day, we don't consider God very much. On an average day, we forget our lives are vapor. On an average day, we think this will go on and on and on, that keeping it together is my job. 
I don't need God to keep my stuff going. I only need God when my stuff is gone. What can I do every day to remind myself of the awesomeness of God? I think it is to have at least one conversation with another Christian about what God has been doing in your life. Remember, I challenged you with that early on. Every day at dinner or lunch or breakfast, whatever that is, you just simply ask the question, what did you see God do in your life today? That reminds us God's there. And we have this awe factor of God. Second, begin to deal with the issues. Deuteronomy 6.18 says, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. See, leadership is a process of bringing people to the point of having to face their problems and to deal with them. Leadership is about motivating people to face tough realities and deeply buried conflicts. Leading people to maturity in Christ means letting go of some old traditional notions and place the focus on learning to understand issues and then educating in ways to transform them. Somebody asked me, said to me the other day, Rick, I need to seek to understand before I am making people understand me. I need to understand others before I can begin to think that I can be understood. God's amazing. He's beyond all that we can imagine. He's bigger than anything we might face. Isn't it a comfort that we know that we have a God we cannot exaggerate? The biggest thing I can say about God, he is beyond that even. The third thing, begin your dependence on his works. The rest of 18 and 19 says this, so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on an oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. I mean, sometimes I struggle with that one, right? That I have to trust in God for the things. Hey, this past week our microwave died. You know, spit sparks, all kinds of things going on. At least there wasn't any smoke. I was glad for that part. But all I did was get in the car and went and bought another one. No prayer service, no laying my hands on it, trying to heal it, none of that kind of stuff going on. Bam, just went out and bought a new microwave. See, that's the challenge in this culture. I don't need God. I just expect God to make those things available to me. But that's incredibly audacious. So how do I listen? We live instead as though God was created for us to do our bidding, to bless us, and to take care of our loved ones. I mean, do you trust God, the God who acts? I want to leave you with this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. You guys have read this before. You know it. Write this down. Read it again. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8 says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the other apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. This is foundational. This is what God's up to, that he is bringing you to himself. My life, my present, my future depends on God's work, and I can never forget 
my challenge to you as a church, as parents, as grandparents, as family and friends, that we have an intentional telling of the love story between God's people and himself. We're to show God's love through all of our family relationships. It's an infinite love that's linked to his character. A compelling love that moves us to trust with our hearts. A contagious love that we demonstrate personally. An everyday love that is developed in the family life rhythm. An authentic love that connects us in wider circles with each other. Don't listen to your heart. Speak to it. Speak the words of love that God has given to you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's in this moment that we're reminded again that we walk with you. It's in this moment that we come to you, Father, asking you to bring, bring your love to us. Father, we know you've already done that in your son, Jesus. Today, I ask that you would manifest that in our lives, that we would be holy and perfectly aligned with you. Father, for those of us who've not yet begun to follow you, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict and challenge and encourage a decision for you. For those of us who follow you, Lord, I pray that we would repent of those places where we've been distracted and distanced from you, and that we would bring you glory and honor in all things that we do and say. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.